What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is a Locked On Blazers mailbag. Three segments answering your questions. We're going to do these early in the week every week. I think it makes sense to ask for them on Monday and get these mailbags out on Tuesday. Won't always work that way, but that's going to be the plan going forward for the season. Here's how it works. I solicit questions on Twitter, at Mike G. Rich. You send them in, I answer them. You don't have to wait for me to solicit them. You can just tweet them at me, at Mike G. Rich, and I'll aggregate them and answer them on the podcast early in the week. Aim for Tuesdays. It's not always how the NBA schedule works, but that'll be the schedule. Look for Monday solicitations, Tuesday mailbags. So let's get into it right away. Our first question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter. And Matthew asks, which is more likely? Hassan Whiteside ends the season on the Trailblazers roster or Pau Gasol plays zero games? I like this question. Uh, it's a stupid hypothetical and the things aren't related. It's just it's perfect for me. Chef's kiss. But I think it's more likely that Hassan Whiteside finishes the season on the Blazers roster. Because I think while we might not see Pau for a while, I do think we'll see him some this year. Not a bunch, but some. Some is the answer. So I think it's it's more likely that uh, that Whiteside ends the season on the roster. But I uh, I understand the speculation. There's a lot of people thinking that Powell might get tra- or that Hassan Whiteside might get traded. Okay, next question comes from the both teams pod at both teams pod on Twitter. Who gets more minutes during the season, Pagasol or Mario Hazonia? This is an easy one, guys. It's Mario Hazonia. Like, he's part of the rotation, and Pau Gasol's 39 and hurt. I think even if both dudes were healthy, um, the way preseason has kind of played itself out, I think Mario has a more established role in the rotation than even a healthy Pau would. I think healthy Pau is a backup center playing spot minutes, and Mario Hazonia is like a real part of the group, a real part of the plan. Even when they're both healthy, I think Mario might slightly edge him. But now that Pau's hurt to start the season, it's not close. Hazonia in a landslide. Okay, our next question comes from Tim A at PDX Timmy. Timmy says, pretend that Whiteside's injury lingers a little bit. How will the Blazers handle the center position in his absence? This is a fun hypothetical to think about because probably at some point during the year, Hassan Whiteside will have to miss a quarter, uh, a shift, somewhere in there. He's going he's gonna to have to miss some time. It's just the nature of how basketball works. Um, Not fun because he'll be injured, but fun because you have to think about the Blazers' weakest part of the roster and how how it all works. Here's how I think it would play out. I think you start Tolliver at the four and Zach Collins at the five. I think that's pretty simple and pretty obvious. But what happens to those backup minutes? I think that's where it kind of gets tricky. I think you boost Scal Lebesier, the obvious choice, just because they don't have another center on the roster. Scal moves up into that 18 to 22 minute range. And then what do you do at the four? I think you play Hazonia at the four a bunch, but that backup unit with Scal and Hazonia as your two bigs is going to get absolutely murdered on the glass and on defense. That's concerning. So then I think what you do a little bit is you try to slide Zach Collins into that second unit a little bit, and then you play small a little bit. You just sneak some in his play small with Anthony Tolliver at the five. And you kind of just make do. If you're playing against bigger teams, you might even have to start Scow and figure it out from there. But I th- why I like this question from Timmy is because this is a real issue for the Blazers. If Pau Gasol isn't healthy and Hassan Whiteside, who's been dealing with multiple sprains of that left ankle, multiple problems with that left ankle, if he has to miss time, 
The Blazers' weakest position right now is center, and and really and and power forward being their second weakest position. Those are those are the two holes on this roster. It's just bigs. So if they were to lose Hassan, who they're counting on to play thirty plus minutes, then things get dicey. That's how I think it plays out. But it's there's no clear and obvious answer. All right. Next question comes from Dominic Marshall at Marshdom on Twitter, and Dominic asks over under thirty four percent for Hazonia's three point percentage. He was there or better in years one and three, but sub 30% in years two and four. Agree that mid-30s is potentially the key to being effective rotation guy, and if better, upside. Uh, the question there, I guess, is the over-under and then some, some commentary. Uh, Dominic also asked me to talk about others who have improved their three-point shooting under Terry Stotts. Dominic, you asked. I'm giving it to you. Media guys who come to mind are Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino, obviously, with this. I think that's who you were thinking about, too, Dom. So, Mo Harkless was a career 30.9% three-point shooter before he came to Portland. In four seasons with the Blazers, he shot 33%. That included a couple down years in years one and year four. But in those middle two years, Mo Harkless shot above 35% and then a career-best 41.5% one season. So, there are moments when... Terry Stotts maybe coaxed some good shooting out of a guy who kind of knew his role. Stand in the corner and get ready to shoot and then play hard on the other end. Moa Harkless didn't always love that role, but there were times when he thrived in it. The other guy's Aminu, the obvious one that everyone points to as this proof that the Blazers' development works. And frankly, I guess it kind of does. He was a 28.6% three-point shooter prior to arriving in Portland. With the Blazers, he shot 35.3%. On four attempts a game. He had never averaged more than two attempts a game anywhere else in the league in his other stops. That is, with the Clippers, New Orleans, and also the Dallas Mavericks. But I think more than the making shots, it's it's what you should credit Terry Stotts there is, is getting Alvaruka Minu to become someone who jacked up threes. Someone who his most of his arsenal was shooting three-pointers at, at, you know, rebounding, but where he got the bulk of his points was spot-up shooting. But I also, I don't want to to suggest that every single player who comes through Portland automatically gets better at shooting. There are certainly a lot of guys who have improved. Um, there's plenty of people who sort of come in the Blazers de- player development machine and turned out become NBA players. Pat Connaughton, Jake Lehman, Noah Vonley, all, all guys who look like rotation NBA players who maybe didn't always look like it when they started with the Blazers. But Evan Turner will be my example. Evan Turner was a 30.5% three-point shooter in Portland, or before he before arriving in Portland. An established veteran, a non-shooter, and with the Blazers, he shot 27.8% from deep, including an abysmal 21% last season. It doesn't work for everyone. There is no proof that Mario Hazonia will definitely improve. So, over under 34%, I'll take the under, 33 and a half. So maybe you round up and get it right. But I'm, I'm taking the slight under. I'm not a believer in this guy having a really functional jump shot. I think he can do a lot of things. I think Mario Zonia is really good in the open floor. Uh, I think his size and his athleticism is going to be a real boost to the Blazers' second unit. But I don't think shooting is going to be the thing that you really remember about him. Thanks for the question, Dominic. Okay, next one. It's from Logan Giles. Because I sort of organized these before hitting that record button, this one's also about three-point shooting. Logan asks, who will hit more threes this year? Ken Bazemore, Rodney Hood, or Anthony Simons? He actually says Baze, Hoodie, and Ant, because he's going all nicknames. Thank you, Logan. 
Okay, last year, Bays, your boy, shot 43% of his shots from beyond the three-point arc. And for his career, about 40% of his attempts come from behind the line. Rodney Hood, about 35% of his attempts came from beyond the arc last year, and 38% in Portland. He didn't shoot as many threes with the the Cavs, but when he came to Portland, he shot slightly higher percent of his attempts came from beyond the three-point line. And Rodney Hood, this surprised me, actually has a higher career three-point attempt rate than Kent Bazemore. Although Rodney Hood basically shot, you know, 40-plus percent of his attempts from three with the Jazz, and since he left Utah, it's, it's dipped dramatically. Anthony Simons, we don't have enough data for it to be meaningful. I'm not going to read off his three-point attempt rate. I don't think that's useful. He, We just didn't see enough of him. But I also don't think he's going to play as many minutes as those guys this year. He might end up being a better player than both those guys, but particularly early in the season, just the way that Terry Stotts has done his rotation, I think Bays and Hood both play a bunch more than Simons to begin, at least for the first six weeks or so until Anthony proves that he's worth it. Terry Stotts coaches a lot based on feel and trust. Anthony Simons probably still has to earn that trust. So my pick out of those guys, if I'm if I'm excluding Anthony just based on what I've explained, I'm going to pick Kent Bazemore, mostly because I think the Bla- Hood's going to play a bunch of minutes with Damon CJ, which means that he won't maybe get as many spot-up natural attempts because he, they'll try to use him in the mid-post. They'll try to use him uh, as a cutter and screener. I think he scores more in the mid-range. I think he scores more as a post-up player. And I think Kent Bazemore ends up making more threes on the year than Rodney Hood or Anthony Simons. Second segment, we got more of your questions. You ask them, I'm going to answer them. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering the code LOCKEDON at checkout. All right, more questions. Let's do it. This next one comes from Portland Trailblazers France at Blazers France on Twitter. And they ask, We saw new things from Zach Collins during preseason, like his shot, his shot selection, and generally his role on offense. We've already seen his impact on defense when Whiteside is on the court. So what are my thoughts, what are your thoughts, on Zach Collins for the season? Uh, I think Collins is ready to be a breakout type guy just because he's going to play a ton more minutes than he did last year. Um, I've talked a little bit about his shot selection in the previous podcast, but I'll mention it here again. I think Collins has done a really good job during the preseason kind of finding his way in the middle. Um, when he's played with other guys in the past, uh, with, with Ed Davis, Collins kind of just was all around the perimeter with Myers Leonard. Collins was the guy who was sort of playing the five quote unquote on offense and really getting himself some back to the basket type touches and spending a lot of time in the paint. I think with Hassan Whiteside, and Whiteside isn't a guy who's going to space the floor, but he has a little more offense than Ed Davis, and I think Zach Collins has done a good job just kind of uh, reading that relationship and, and getting himself space, little open pockets in the mid-range, and just, he's he's looked confident taking those mid-range jumpers. I know a lot of people think that he's going to develop into this uh, sweet shooting, outside shooting four or five guy. Uh, I do think he eventually adds a three-point shot. He's a 33% three-point shooter. He's got to get there first. He definitely has the touch and the form to do it, but I think a lot of his damage this year could come in that mid-range, finding you know gaps and setting uh, maybe short rolls when guys try to double-team Damon CJ on pick and rolls. And I think he's, he's kind of showed that he's learning those spaces a little bit so far in the preseason. Next question comes from Jason R. at Jason Reyes. 
the son is because the O is a zero in that handle. All right. Jason R. asks, Once Powell is ready to go, how do you think he'll be used in the Blazers' offense? Will he have a similar role to any backup bigs we've had in the past? Jason, are you leading me here? And if you are, I'll take the bait. Yes, I could see Pau Gasol having a similar style of usage as Chris Kamen. Chris Kamen in his first season with the Blazers was 32 years old. He was a former All-Star who was kind of in the twilight of his career, but he was still pretty effective in his first season with the Blazers. He played two. The second season, he was just kind of on the roster. But that first one, he was a real contributor. He played 74 games, including 13 starts. He averaged 8.6 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, and about 19 minutes a night. But most importantly, he had a 22.5% usage rate. That was third on the team and way ahead of starters Nick Batum and Robin Lopez, and also Wesley Matthews. The guys who were ahead of him, LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard, and then a young C.J. McCollum, who was always a high-usage guy even in that early stage of his career. But I kind of see, if Powell's back and healthy and ready to go, why I mention you straight is because I think Powell is going to uh, use up a lot of possessions in that second unit as sort of a guy they play through, either as a scorer or a passer, and just someone who can play out of the high um, the high post and, and get stuff done. The Blazers run a ton of stuff out of horn sets where two guys start at the at either side of the foul line and they run like little cross screens or pick and roll actions or dribble handoffs where they enter the ball in you know a bunch of little actions out of those out of those horn sets i think Pau Gasol operates there much like Cayman did in that 15 to 7 feet 15 to 7 feet window he punishes little guys who just aren't you know who get caught on switches he shoots over the top being 7 feet tall and he's a pro so he knows how to score at least i don't think Powell's going to do as much as Cayman. He's certainly not going to play 74 games. Uh, something's really gone wrong if he starts 13 times for the Blazers this season. But I do think he could be a high-usage, offensive-minded backup big for the Blazers if he's fully healthy. Okay, our next question comes from Brennan O'Donnell. At Brennan O'Donnell on Twitter. The o, the o is also a zero on Brennan's handle. Everyone's doing the zero thing. Brennan asks, is Anthony Simon's ceiling this year higher or lower than Seth Curry's numbers last year? Seth Curry averaged 7.9 points, shot 45.6% from the floor, 45% from three, basically all of his shots were threes, 85% from the line, grabbed 1.6 rebounds, averaged 0.9 assists in 19 minutes a game. And the big one for me, as long as we're going with counting stats, is Seth Curry averaged 6.3 field goal attempts a game. He just couldn't get shots, guys. Seth Curry struggled to get shots in the Blazers' offense. In fact, midway through the season, they started putting the ball in his hands more just to get him to be involved more on offense because he would spend a lot of his time on the opposite side, on the weak side, waving his hands in the corner, hoping to get the basketball. So I'm going to say ceiling for Anthony Simons is well above eight points on 45% shooting. It's probably well above, you know, two rebounds and one assist, honestly. But I think... The big number is going to be field goal attempts because I think Emory Simons is going to get it up. That guy likes to shoot the rock. He's not afraid. I think he's pushing, you know, eight, nine, ten attempts, depending on how many minutes he plays. And so then his, his points are naturally going to be his. He might end up averaging in that eight point range. But if you're talking ceiling, I think Emory Simons realistic ceiling this year would be averaging about 13, 14 points. So, yeah, his ceiling is higher than Seth Curry's numbers last year. All right, one more question before we head to the third segment. This one comes from Scooby-Doo 
at MVH underscore genetics on Twitter. Scooby-Doo tried to do that thing where you ask three questions when I only ask for one. In fact, the tweet that I sent out sent, send in your question and I'll answer it. Those are singular, Scooby-Doo. Don't try to play me. But listen, I'm feeling generous. I'm going to hit you with all three, but I'm not going to go deep. Ask them one at a time. No, I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. Okay, first one. Will Portland be a top 15 defensive team this season? I'm going to say no. I think they're a slightly below average defensive team, more like 17 or 19. Which of the recent players lost to the Blazers miss most this season? I'm going to say Al Farouk Aminu. The Blazers just don't have a power forward on the roster other than Anthony Tolliver. Zach Collins is going to start there, but he's a center. I'll say it again. Zach Collins is a center. And the other guy they're missing is Ed Davis. How useful would Ed Davis be as a backup center right now? What an upgrade he would be, uh, especially with Hassan Whiteside dealing with ankle trouble and all those things. Ed Davis would be just a, a perfect addition to those teams. Two cheap guys that... Uh, that would have been useful ads. And the last question, is Dame's rap career a detriment to his basketball ceiling? Let me answer this one. Turn up turn up your podcast, Scooby-Doo. Hell no. This is prejudice against visible hobbies. That's what this is. Because Dame has a visible hobby, you have prejudice against it hurting his basketball career. You know what other people's hobbies in the NBA? They go on vacation and drink wine. Are you worried about that being a detriment to their basketball ceiling? Since Damon Lillard has released rap albums, he's put out his best seasons in the league. Look it up, my guy. If you don't like rap music or you think he should stop rapping, that sounds like a personal problem. It has nothing to do with his basketball ceiling. He's not Shaq. He's not making music videos during the playoffs and, and goofing off and not worrying about staying in shape. He just raps at night. Takes a little bit of time off and raps at night. It's fine. Don't have prejudice against people with visible hobbies. It's a mistake. All right, third segment, we're going to close this out with more questions from y'all. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you guys there are two new national NBA podcasts on the Locked On Sports Network. First is Rejecting the Screen. It comes out twice a week. It includes a long-form interview on Thursdays with someone in the NBA. Definitely check that out. And the other one is a -a once-a-week show called Hollinger and Duncan with John Hollinger, former NBA front office executive for seven years with the Memphis Grizzlies and longtime media member, as well as Nate Duncan podcast analytic hero a prolific podcaster should be a great show you should check it out all right still locked on blazers still mike richmond still a pass first point guard closing out this episode with more questions this one comes from edmund dantes at roger 244929279 edmund update your handle what's going on there edmund asks is the new owner going to be As visible as her brother, no, no, no. Jody Allen is not going to come to 35 games and some road games. Paul Allen loved basketball, loved the Blazers, loved sitting courtside. Jody Allen is not that type of fan. We don't really know what type of owner she is. All the data suggests that she's willing to spend if the team is good. You know, everything we know. Trading for Rodney Hood added money. Signing Ennis Cantor added tax money and all that. She was there in the playoffs, spoke to the team in the locker room in Denver after they won game seven. But she's not going to be a games like Paul was. That's just, that's not going to happen. All right, next question comes from Great Googly Moogly at Great Googly Mo 11 on Twitter. And Great Googly asks, what are Nazir Little's chances of earning regular rotation wing minutes? <laughs> slim, dude, <laughs> real slim. Um, I, 
Nazir Little is going to spend this season watching and playing in the D League. Sorry, G League. Apologies to Gatorade. Uh, the Blazers don't have a great track record of playing rookies. They're incredibly high on Anthony Simons. They think he's going to be a star. They played him almost none during his rookie season. And if you're picking a young wing off the Blazers bench, who's going to come from outside the rotation to be in, it's got to be Gary Trent Jr., a year of seasoning in the NBA, a better shooter, which makes him a better fit. I think Nazir Little right now probably projects as an undersized power forward. The Blazers have... Relatively high hopes for him, but it ain't happening this year. I would give his chances of earning regular rotation minutes, considering the roster as healthy, at less than 1%. Okay, next question comes from Andy Patton, at Andy Patton, S-E-A, Seattle. Andy asks, does Moses Brown have a shot to play real minutes this season? If so, can he be productive? These are back-to-back questions that are easy. I'll just set up pins that I can knock down. No, Moses Brown doesn't have a shot to play this season. Come on, Andy? Moses Brown, two-way player. He can only spend 45 days with the team. Think of two-way players like G League players. They can spend a short period of time with the team, but really they're G League players who have an NBA connection, a, a specific NBA connection. Moses Brown won't play this year. If Moses Brown does play real minutes this year, the Blazers are in trouble. Could he be productive? No. I don't think so. I don't think he's physically ready to be productive in the NBA. He is big, but I think he's a little bit too skinny and a little bit too slow to play on a team that wants to win the NBA title. Next question comes from Jared Cowley. At Jared Cowley on Twitter, Jared asks, which new player in the Blazers do you think will have the most positive impact on the team this season? So you see how I just, here are two young guys who aren't going to play, and now I'm going to talk about people who are going to play. New player who I think will have the most positive impact is Kent Bazemore. Thinks Blazers will appreciate his length on the perimeter, his energy on defense, his outside shooting should it come around, and just generally the little things that Bazemore does. He just plays really hard. I think it's a skill to play hard in the NBA. Guys who don't play hard have to think about playing hard every time they go down the court. Kent Bazemore doesn't have that problem. When he's healthy, he's a menace athletically out there. Seven-foot wingspan makes him a really useful defender. I don't know if he can guard the Elite, elite threes. Like, I don't know if he can guard LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, but I know he's going to be asked to. And so I think he's going to have the most positive impact of the newcomers this season. Next question comes from Guido Pinamonti. Guido asks, at Guido Pinamonti on Twitter. Guido asks, realistically, will Nurk play at his pre-injury level this season? If so, when? Guido, I'm going to ignore the second part of your question because nobody knows when. But I'll give you my gut on the first part. Will Nurk play at his pre-injury level this season? I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say no because I was, I have said this a bunch of times, but Nurk was awesome last season. I think he was one of the best 30 players in the NBA. I don't think he can get back to that level just with the amount of time he's going to have to take off. Let's say he's, let's say it takes him a full year to round into playing shape and that by the end of March, say he comes back at the end of February and by the end of March, he's, he's ready to go in terms of his wind. Do I think that, uh, uh, a month of NBA basketball will get him back to being one of the 30 best players in the league after missing a full year or 10 months, 11 months? No. I think he can get back there next season. I don't think this is the type of injury that changes his career from everything we've heard medically. Now, I'm not a doctor. Studied history in college. But I think he can get there. I just don't... It just seems unlikely to me that he can hop in midstream in the spring and, and be ready to contribute at a really, really high level. 
All right, next question comes from Spencer Gordon at Spencer's Dead One on Twitter. Spencer says, let's say Portland gets off to a rough start. It's not uncommon as there have been two Blazers late season comebacks the last three years. However, what would make Neil Olshay hit the panic button? Hard to say what would make Neil Olshay hit the panic button. They've been relatively patient, knowing that often in March and April they can make go on runs and right the ship. Uh, I think particularly this year, with 13 of the first 18 on the road, I think they're going to be really patient if it is rocky to begin with, just knowing that the schedule will come back to them. But I think what would make Neil would hit the panic button might not necessarily be record. Obviously, wins and losses are everything in this league. It's a results-based business. But I think the thing that would really make him maybe change his mind or, or, or decide to hit the proverbial panic button would be sort of production of of the parts. If Hassan Whiteside isn't playing well, the Blazers just don't have options behind him. Then maybe you look to make a move and do something else. If uh, Rodney Hood isn't the answer on the wing, then maybe that's when you start panicking and realize we need some help in those spots. I don't think there's a lot of easy solutions, but I don't think uh, I don't think a slow start considering where how many games early on they have on the road is going to make them mash that panic button. You know, 18 is a bunch. About 20 games in. The 20 game mark is like a pretty good sample size. So, the Blazers are going to have a really road-heavy first 20 games, and then it'll kind of come back to them. All right, final question from at Peyton PDX. And Peyton PDX, PDX asks, what season do we clearly see a decline in the pairing of Dame and CJ? How can fans rationally prepare for this? It's bound to happen eventually, and Rip City has to be ready so as not to jump off a cliff. I feel like that's a lot of weight on me, Peyton PDX, to prepare all of Rip City for um, the decline of their superstars. I think, realistically, the Blazers have three seasons, including this one, so um, maybe I'll even stretch it out. I'll say four seasons. Damon Lord's 28. Let's, let's push it to his 32nd birthday before there's a real drop-off. Usually smaller guards... Um, they do drop off in their 30s and they drop off pretty steeply. I've read some interesting stories about sort of what people predict will happen to a guy like Chris Paul, a smaller guard who was very, very good. But Father Time seems to have caught up with him a little bit. And at some point, it's going to catch up in a major way. I do think both of them age relatively well because they can shoot it. But obviously, there's uh, physical limitations. The NBA is tough. You're asked to do a lot. Um, they're not the biggest dudes on earth. So that'll be challenging. But I'd say the Blazers have between three and four more seasons before there's a clear, drastic decline of those two guys. And it could conceivably stretch longer. Certainly the Blazers have them under contract for uh, five seasons, so they, they, they're they counting on a full five. Uh, I probably think we'll see... I think the back half of both of those contracts will see a clear decline of Damon CJ. But I think you're comfortable for at least this season and, and likely two more after that, where the Blazers still have an elite pairing and, and one of the best duos, maybe the best backcourt in the NBA. All right, that's every single question you guys ask me. That's 100% hit rate. I don't think I hit 100% in the other ones, but I want to keep doing these. I want to do these weekly. So if you want to get involved, just tweet me questions at Mike G. Rich or look for the submissions either on Sunday or Monday on my Twitter feed at Mike G. Rich. I'll solicit questions on Twitter. You send them my way. I'll answer them on the podcast. Keep the conversation going. Appreciate it. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. Tell them they can find it wherever they already get podcasts. 
That's on Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. The NBA season starts tonight, guys. Tonight. We got a real game against the Denver Nuggets. I'm super excited. I will have a podcast following that one. It's here. Wait a long time. You guys stuck with me all summer, or maybe you just joined in now. Appreciate you either way. But the NBA season is upon us. Ready to get it rolling. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.